Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. mercy and peace to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord Jesus Christ, you have given us this holy supper of your body and your blood to give us the comfort of forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, uh, that we might have strength in you and that we might be united as one body. And we pray that as we hear your word tonight, that you would renew in us kindle in us a deep desire and hunger for this Holy Supper. All this we ask in your name. Amen. So tonight we're continuing this theme of the Lord's Supper or or the sacrament, uh, lots of different names for this gift that God gives us. Uh, Last week we talked about what is the sacrament. We talked about how the sacrament is the very body and blood of Christ given to us uh, in the bread and wine for us to eat and drink. Uh, We talked about two words, remembering and receiving, that we remember the death of Jesus for our sake, but that we also receive the benefits of his death, uh, the forgiveness of sins, namely. We're going to go a little bit deeper into that whole question of what is the benefit of the Lord's Supper tonight? Uh, Because if we don't understand the benefit of something, then we'll find it hard to do it. Uh, We really won't have a reason for doing something unless we know the benefit of it. But if we understand and know the benefit of this Lord's Supper, then we will crave this meal and desire it, uh, certainly. So as we begin, uh, let's go ahead and speak the words from the catechism here. This is uh, part two of four from Luther's small catechism on the topic of the sacrament. What is the benefit of this eating and drinking? So tonight, as we talk about the benefit of the sacrament, uh, there's a lot that we could talk about, but I'm going to just focus on four things briefly. Uh, We're going to talk about how the sacrament is a way in which God gives to us the forgiveness of our sins and also connects us to his life and his salvation, how the sacrament strengthens our faith and also how it creates unity between us in the body of Christ. So we'll go ahead and talk about each of these things briefly. So the first thing is forgiveness, and we see this clearly in Scripture. Uh, We read in Matthew 26, the words of institution, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for what? For the forgiveness of of sins. So we see very clearly here in Scripture that Jesus is instituting this meal so that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins, the comfort of knowing that we are cleansed uh, and our sins are gone. 
Uh, and, you know, that is the, the thing that we need most desperately in this life, right, is that we would have a clear conscience and know that we have right standing before God. Now, our forgiveness was won by Jesus Christ completely, full and completely at the cross. It's there that God, once and for all, dealt with our sins. See, God doesn't deal with our sins by us trying to pay them off or us trying to do our best or to try hard enough. That's not the way it works. Rather, God has dealt with our sins himself in the person of Christ on the cross. And it's there that once and for all, our sins were dealt with. But the question then is, how do you and I receive that forgiveness of sins? You know, you think about the cross on a timeline was around 2,000 years ago. So how does what happened way back then become mine right here in the here and now, in the present? Well, uh, the general answer to that is through the Word of God. It is through the powerful Word of God spoken to you that we receive all that was done for us on the cross. And so God speaks to you, your sins are forgiven through my Son, and we receive it by faith in our hearts. We claim it as our own. Now, this Word of God that creates faith in us uh, really comes in, in a variety of forms. Uh, so we typically talk about a threefold word. First, there's the audible word, the word that I'm speaking to you right now, the preached word, or the word of God read in the scriptures. That is one way in which God gets into your heart and gives you the gift of faith, which receives the forgiveness of sins. Uh, we have an audible word, but we also have what's called a wet word right there in baptism. It's in holy baptism that once again, God gives to you, he covers you, he immerses you in that forgiveness so that you have it as your own. So we have an audible word, a wet word, but also an edible word. And so it is in the sacrament of the Lord's body and blood that God doesn't just say, I love you and I forgive you, but he says, here, taste it, eat it, drink it, and know that it is yours. As surely as you have eaten and drank it, it is yours and the wonderful thing about this is it means that you and I don't have to go looking for forgiveness in any other place than where God has promised it. We don't have to go looking for forgiveness in our hearts, like thinking, do I feel forgiven? Because that can cause us a lot, a lot of harm if we look to our hearts for assurance of forgiveness. We may wonder, am I really forgiven? But God has given us this supper so that we can know where to go to know that we are at peace with God and our sins are forgiven because this meal is centered on the event that God has done to take away our sins completely once and for all. And so in this sacrament, we receive exactly what Jesus accomplished for us, the forgiveness of our sins. But not only forgiveness of sins, but also life and salvation. Because when we receive forgiveness, it opens the doors to everything that God has promised us, namely life and salvation. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, what barred them from life and salvation? It was their sins. That's what always puts a barrier between us and God. But when we receive the forgiveness of sins, there's nothing standing between us and God. And now we are able to fully experience his life and his salvation. In John chapter 6, with, which uh, Pastor Tim just read shortly, uh, Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Uh, and we can't help but think about the sacrament when we hear those words, right? 
There's been some debate among Christians about what Jesus is talking about here. Some Christians think that Jesus is talking about just feeding on him in faith, uh, that when we trust in Christ, that we feed on him as our nourishment, his flesh and his blood that he gave for us on the cross. But what's interesting about the Gospel of John is there is something missing in John's Gospel that is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get the words of institution. You get that story about Jesus having that Last Supper. You don't get that in John. Instead, in John's Gospel, on that last night before he was, uh, the night of his betrayal, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples and then gives them that commandment to love one another, which certainly took place within the context of the Lord's Supper. But I believe that John very deliberately places the Lord's Supper language in John chapter 6 as we hear this language about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. Because if you're a, a Christian in the first century, you're reading this Gospel of John and you hear these words, you can't help but think about the Lord's Supper, especially as you receive it often as God's people. And so Jesus says this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. As we gather around the remembrance and the receiving of Jesus' death, we are publicly proclaiming that we have no life apart from Jesus that we have no salvation apart from Jesus, that this is the only place where salvation is found in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, does this mean that if we are deprived of the sacrament, if we can't have it for a certain season, that we don't have forgiveness? No, it does not mean that. In fact, Pastor Tim and I, uh, uh, around last year, uh, in like maybe late March or, or uh, early April, we shared this message with you as a congregation because we were deprived of the sacrament for a good solid three months because of the shutdown. And, and so we reminded you that while we should hunger and thirst for the Lord's Supper and it should be a regular rhythm and pattern of our lives that we take it often, if we are deprived of it because uh, we're not able to come to church because of illness or maybe, uh, or think about our confirmation students who are preparing to take it, um, or our new members going through instruction. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're not receiving the full forgiveness of Jesus. In the word of God preached, when you hear that word and believe it, you have the full Jesus. And in baptism, once again, we receive the full Jesus. But it's in that sacrament that we receive that renewed comfort and strength and the affirmation that our sins are forgiven. We receive the embrace of Jesus in a very unique way. Now, COVID aside, so let's just pretend like COVID never happened. It's hard to imagine. But COVID aside, I would say that the reason why many distance themselves from the sacrament is that perhaps they believe that they don't really need God's forgiveness. Or perhaps they distance themselves from the sacrament because they think that maybe there's another source of life out there other than Jesus, or another source of salvation other than Jesus. Or perhaps we think that we can live the Christian life in our own strength, in our own fortitude. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are publicly proclaiming that there is forgiveness in none other than Jesus Christ, 
that there is life and salvation and none other than the cross of Christ and that he is the source of our strength in this journey that we're on. So that brings us to our next one, uh, strength, the strengthening of our faith. Jesus says these words in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, the truth is, is that you and me can do a lot of things apart from Jesus. I mean, we can run around and be busy and work hard and do lots of things. We may even think we're doing a lot of things for God. Uh, but what Jesus is saying here is that the true things that we do for God and for our neighbor, the true good works that we do in this Christian journey, these works are only done in us by Christ. So as Christians, we confess daily, we say, Jesus, I can't do anything good apart from you. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that, that only through Christ can you do any good? That's what we confess as Christians. It's only through Christ that we can do any good uh, because apart from him, we can do nothing. So if you imagine us being connected to Jesus the way uh, that uh, branches are connected to a vine, that's very much what is happening in the Lord's Supper is that through that gift that God is nourishing your faith and giving you strength uh, to fight against temptation and to live the Christian life. We don't live in our own strength, but just as we need physical nourishment and physical drink, we recognize that we need spiritual nourishment and spiritual drink in the body and in the blood of Christ. The fourth and final benefit of the Lord's Supper is, I would say, the, perhaps the least understood one, the one that we talk about the least, and that is the unity that we have in the faith. So in other words, as we take the Lord's Supper, we are in a very real way connected to one another as a communion. We commune not only with Christ, but with one another. So this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verses that we heard last week. Uh, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or a communion in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation or a communion in the body of Christ? And the answer to those two questions is yes. It is a participation, a receiving of the body of Christ. But then Paul goes on and he says this, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So what Paul is saying is that communion is not just a me and Jesus event. I mean, it certainly is that because we receive the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of our individual faith. It's that and it's more, though. Uh, when we come around the Lord's Supper, we are coming around it not just individually, but as the body of Christ. See, we as the body of Christ take the body of Christ because we all have the same source of nourishment together. And so really this means two things for us. Number one, it's very important that we would not have divisions in our congregation as we come to the Lord's Supper. It means that God calls us to be at peace with one another. Now, sometimes, you know, relationships are messy, right? I mean, reconciliation with God is a one-time event. It's done in Christ. Reconciliation with other people is a process. Um, 
So I'm not saying that if you have a struggle in a relationship that you're working through that you shouldn't come to the Lord's Supper. I mean, where else are you going to get strength to work through that stuff and forgive people? But what I am saying is that if we refuse to forgive and we choose to continue to be divided uh, in our relationships or in our community as Christians, that, that we're really missing the point of the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is also an expression a public declaration of our unity together. That's why we take those divisions in the church so seriously. And, and that's why Jesus really warns us against these things. In fact, um, we don't do this much right now. In fact, we don't do it at all. You know, the sharing of the peace, <laughs> where we shake hands and we say, peace be with you. Uh, the tradition behind that is that before the church would take communion, we wanted to show uh, a sign that we're reconciled with one another, that, that we're not against each other, but that we're at peace with one another before we partake of the body and the blood of Christ together. The second thing that this means, this idea of unity, is that um, the, the proper teaching and preparation for the Lord's Supper is really important. Uh, and so, you know, in some churches, if you go to church, you know, they'll have communion and just everybody comes up. Uh, but traditionally in the church, we have always wanted to give people instruction in the Christian teaching and especially in the Lord's Supper before we come up to the altar. We want everyone to commune, but before everyone communes, we want people to have some good instruction and teaching so that we know what this sacrament is, what the benefit of it is, and how to prepare for it. Um, so that's why, for example, our confirmation students go through a time of preparation so they can know what this meal is and receive it in the right way. That's why we invite our new members, our visitors who want to be part of our communion in this church uh, to go through a time of teaching in our essentials class. Um, in fact, why don't look in the pews there. Do you see those little white cards? Let's just pull them out. They're the laminated ones. Because sometimes we have things in the pews and, and we don't always use them or, or know why, they are, or why they're there. And so I just want to chat about this a little bit. Uh, we have these cards in there for kind of two reasons. So that when we have visitors come who may not have been baptized or maybe they don't know Christ yet or maybe they haven't gone through a time of teaching about what the Lord's Supper is, uh, we want them to reflect on what is this supper uh, so that they can prepare rightly uh, to take it. Uh, this card gives us an overview of our teaching and practice of the Lord's Supper. And in the same way, this is also for members, so that we as members, before we take the Lord's Supper, we would examine our hearts, and, and, which we're going to talk about uh, in two weeks from now, preparing for the Lord's Supper, so that we would ask ourselves those questions that, do I repent of my sins? Do I trust in Jesus as my Savior? Do I recognize my need for Him? Uh, do I forgive those around me? Those are all good questions to ask before we come to the Lord's table because when we ask those questions, it really is an expression of our unity so that when we're up here taking the, the Lord's Supper together, we're all on the same page, right? We're all believing and confessing the same thing and, and striving for the same thing in unity. That unity piece is so important in the Lord's Supper. The final question that I want to talk about, and I don't have a solid answer for it, but I want us to think about it is the question of how often. How often should we take the Lord's Supper? 
Now, Jesus never tells us how often we should take this. There's nothing in like the Gospels or, or even in the epistles of Paul in the New Testament that say you should take the Lord's Supper this many times a year. doesn't say that. But if we know the benefit of this meal, ought we not to take it often? I mean, if, if God is embracing us with his love and his forgiveness in a very special, unique way, if, we, if we're receiving the very presence of Jesus Christ, ought we not to take this often? It's the uh, practice in many Lutheran churches to take the Lord's Supper on first and third weekends. And so that's the practice at Holy Cross. Uh, interestingly enough, there's kind of a movement in our church body right now in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Ascended uh, to move to weekly communion, that we would take it as any time we gather for the Lord's Day that we would just take the Lord's Supper. And the reason is because the Lord's Supper is the gospel, like in tangible form. It, it's like the epicenter, the, the beating heart of our community, and, and uh, it's like the high point of our worship, what we're all longing for during the week as we get ready for church. Uh, and so, uh, once again, there's nothing in Scripture that says we have to take it every week, but that's the kind of the growing practice in uh, many churches in our synod. Uh, the church that I was previously at in Connecticut had the practice of taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And that was a practice that uh, I didn't create. It was just there when I took the call to be one of the pastors there. But it became such a part of my weekly rhythm that every Sunday we would receive communion, that I just got used to it. It just became kind of what I look forward to each week. And I remember I went to preach as a, as a fill-in guest preacher at uh, a church in the next town over. And uh, we did the service. I preached my sermon. We said our prayers. We sang our songs. And then I went out and sat in my car and took a little sip of my lukewarm coffee. And then I realized something's missing. And I realized, oh yeah, we didn't take communion <laughs> because it was the practice of this church I preached at to take communion on first and third uh, weekends. And I was there apparently on a second, fourth, or fifth. And uh, I, just, I just realized that that was missing and I, I kind of had a little tinge of sadness. I was like, I really missed that, uh, that uh, part of the service. Now, I'm not saying that we should have weekly communion at our church, but I do want us to think about it. I want it to be something we think about as a congregation. I think it'd be really interesting if people were knocking on our door at church and saying, uh, pastors, we really want communion every week. You know, that'd be kind of interesting. Um, but I do want you to be aware of uh, what the church has done in the past. You know, we might think that weekly communion is kind of a novel new thing, like, oh, that's kind of weird. But actually, to not have communion every week is kind of a novel new thing. Um, for the best we can tell from the early church, so right after the New Testament was written, uh, in, and in the centuries that followed, it was the practice of the church to take the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day they gathered. That's the, what uh, all the evidence points to in the early church. And even at the time of Martin Luther, when the small catechism was written, you know, 1520s, uh, we read that it was the practice of those churches uh, to take the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day and any other time they gathered for uh, a festival or for a holy day. And uh, we got out of the practice as sort of an American thing. So, uh, and there's a couple reasons. One, if you're out on the Great Plains, like we are, 
and you have maybe five congregations in the sand hills, right? And there's one pastor for those five congregations and cars are not invented yet. Uh, that one pastor would have to ride the circuit around to go see all those congregations and they would typically only receive the Lord's Supper maybe once a quarter or maybe once a month. But there's another reason, and it's the influence of this movement in the church in the 17th century or so called pietism. And pietism is this like, you know, you're only a real Christian if you got all the feels in your heart, you know. If you just cry all the time because you love Jesus so much. You're only a Christian uh, by how emotional you are. And that kind of ran its course through the Lutheran church couple centuries ago, but it made a big impact on the American church. And, and so they started to have communion less because they thought, well, if we do this too often, it won't mean as much. Maybe it won't be as meaningful. But just because you do something often doesn't mean that it's not meaningful. Um, if you're married, you give your spouse a hug, you know, when you get home or when you leave for the, the day. Could you imagine if you said to your spouse, you know, I'm only going to give you a hug, maybe like first weekend and, and third weekend, you know, no hug, no kiss, uh, because I, I don't want it to lose its meaning. Or would you ever say to your kids, like, I'm not going to say I love you when you go to school each day, because if I say it every day, it might lose its meaning. I don't think so, right? Um, just because we do something often doesn't mean that it loses its meaning. In fact, it may even grow in meaning. And certainly something as precious to us as the body and the blood of Christ. And so people of God, once again, may the Holy Spirit be working in each of us, especially in our confirmands as they prepare to take the Lord's Supper. May the Holy Spirit be working in us so that we would long and desire for this meal, receive it often, and may there never be a season in our life where we are absent from this table. Let's pray together. For our closing prayer, uh, we'll pray together this prayer from uh, the Catechism. Lord Jesus Christ, you suffered in your holy body and shed your precious blood to redeem your fallen creatures. Grant us to come often to your supper, trusting in your promise, and so to receive to our everlasting benefit the gifts you give in your body and blood the forgiveness of our sins, life with you, and eternal salvation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.